I'm a, uh, I'm a sociologist. I, uh, I came from Canada. I, uh, I worked, uh, or I was at the University of Toronto, and now I work here at the Oxford uh, Internet Institute, which is one of uh, uh, Oxford's newest departments. It's a, it's a big week for us, in fact. We are celebrating our 10th anniversary. We're having a big, uh, a big gala and a conference uh, to uh, coincide with that, the uh, uh, Decade in Internet Time. Uh, conference. You guys can uh, uh, see some of the proceedings and uh, uh, other material uh, that's online. We're very, uh, very excited about that. Uh, I, uh, I used to study, um, for my dissertation, what I did was uh, I was very interested in how people manage uh, the same network, their personal network, across a multitude of media. Under what conditions do they use cell phones? When do they use uh, uh, instant messenger or email? Uh, I was very fascinated by how we regulate um, what comes in and how we're accessible to others. Uh, when I uh, uh, left my um, uh, PhD, and this was in uh, 2000, uh, 2008, 2009, I, uh, I decided to take a different track and study just one single media. Uh, one of the things that I had done in my dissertation was uh, uh, develop a technique to allow people to uh, draw out their personal network. These are the sets of uh, sets of relationships that you have that you think are um, uh, personally significant for you, and uh, say maybe the people that you're very close to, your friends, your family. And then I uh, I thought, well, there's these these social network sites online. Perhaps we can uh, perhaps we can automatically generate something uh, about that uh, about that network. Uh, draw it from there. I mean, that network is starting to look almost like a real personal network. And so I, uh, I started that and I, I did some uh, very technical things with it and over time that morphed into, a, uh, morphed into an overall analysis of how we, uh, how we project ourselves into these online spaces and what do we do in these online spaces when you see these networks and you realize it's not just, uh, you know, it's not just my friends as friends on uh, Facebook, but a multitude of contacts uh, from work, from home, from uh, uh, hobby groups, from church, from school, from high school, uh, dredging up uh, old grainy pictures of me in uh, silly situations and so forth, or maybe you as well. Uh, and uh, how, do we, how do we navigate this? Well, and one of the reasons why I think this is very, uh, very interesting and important, and I'll elaborate a little more on this uh, later, is because content on these sites is digital. It tends to persist. Uh, this uh, conversation, this uh, lecture uh, that uh, that's happening right now, well, it it's, itself is also going to persist. It's being uh, it's being recorded. Um, but you know, before before the talk uh, before the talk started, uh, uh, the gentleman here came down and asked me, "Is it all right if I record it and so forth?" And that's because the norms of offline space are. Uh, are, tend to assume ephemerality, tend to assume that our conversations are context dependent, whereas online things tend to be recorded by default. Um, so what happens when we record things, uh, <laughs> record things by default? Well, we need new metaphors, we need new notions about how to behave in online spaces. Uh, <laughs> classic, <laughs> a classic cartoon. Oh, it's, uh, it's Years ago, it's been it's been years since this one's come up on the internet. Nobody knows you're a dog. Uh, this uh, this gentleman's uh, hopefully gotten lots of royalties out of this already. Um, <laughs> none from me, uh, but <laughs> but yeah. So this this notion the the screen is this separate space that uh, um, sort of mediates 
It's a media. It mediates my relationship to other people. Uh, the internet used to be a very lean medium, uh, very simple. It was text-based. You could be what you want. You give yourself a pseudonym of whatever uh, name you uh, you like. Uh, uh, I might be, you know, Rockstar Thirty Two or or something. And uh, then. You can say what you like. Oh, I'm a girl. I'm Rockstar32, of course. And uh, you go into chat rooms and meet anonymous strangers and talk about politics or, or something. And people said, oh, the internet is very distant. Now, um, as it turns out, uh, as the internet has grown and has become more embedded in everyday life, it has also been able to cater to everyday life in very effective ways. And we've gone from uh, no one knowing you're a dog to going to dog.com and buying squeaky toys and uh, uh, catching frisbees and checking out photos of fire hydrants and, and things, whatever, <laughs> whatever dogs do online. And so, so this, is a, this is a very different internet that we have now. It's no longer an internet that's, uh, that's strange and out there and sparsely connected. It's an internet that's in here, it's imminent and it's densely connected with all of the rich links between our friends. This is the real name internet. Um, we now have a real name internet. We have real name internet sites. Uh, not all of the internet is a real name internet. Um, I'm referring to the spaces online where people uh, post content that they associate with themselves and identify with a common name by which they are uh, normally known or a name that legally would, uh, would consider them personally identifiable. Uh, real name internet spaces are in flux right now. Uh, Google Plus. Google has re recently released a social network site uh, to compete with Facebook and Twitter and have said very explicitly that they expect you to use your real name on this site and they will ban and have banned people who've used pseudonyms or alternate names, different spellings. Uh, very serious about the notion that they, um, they're able to and ought to be able to consolidate all of your ties under one space. Facebook similarly assumes and puts in their terms of use that you are supposed to use your real name and that is, um, it is against the terms of service to, um, or terms of use, sorry, to, uh, to impersonate uh, someone else or to create uh, multiple, uh, or to create multiple accounts. Why would the real name internet work? It, it works because there's connections all over the world that are weaving together our relationships. These connections allow us to find other people and to be found by other people. This is a lovely diagram right here. This was rendered by an intern at Facebook. Sample 10 million, only 10 million people on Facebook, just 10 million, and, and then all of their ties between each other. A couple things are worth noting. First, one, uh, first the aesthetics, no, but uh, so more than a couple. No, a couple things worth noting. The first thing worth noting about this diagram is that yes, these connections on Facebook do span the entire globe. You know, they go from North America down to, uh, uh, down to Australia. The second thing worth noting are the absences. There are places here where it, the world just doesn't show up <laughs> uh, for two reasons. The first, um, the first in, uh, in Africa, it tends to be the case because internet is not as broadly diffused there, uh, it is still, uh, still emerging. Uh, East Africa only got its first 
fiber optic uh, cable that allowed for uh, high-speed traffic uh, this past year. Prior to that, they were using electrical lines. Um, all, of, uh, all of North Africa is a bit, uh, a bit blacked out here. Now, of course, that is rapidly changing. That is rapidly changing. Uh, that is going to get a lot brighter. The other absences, perhaps, it's happening here. It's happening up there. Uh, Russia has a competing social network site, or several. Uh, the most popular, I believe, is the contact, or in contact. Uh, and uh, China has uh, alternate, alternate uh, social network sites as well, uh, Renren and QQ, uh, that seem to be uh, very popular over there. And I believe Facebook is banned, although uh, uh, most, uh, most Chinese people I know have no problems getting around these, uh, uh, these, this banning. But they're not interested. They, they would rather, they have their own um, real name internet site for their local ties. And Facebook is used to connect to the rest of the world. Here's what Facebook looked like, sort of. Um, this is a modified version. You can see all sorts of Easter eggs in this. This is not an actual, uh, this is a variant on my, uh, my screen. Uh, who here is not on Facebook, by the way? Or rather, okay, yes, sure, not on Facebook. Uh, of, you left Facebook. Does anyone leave Facebook? Excellent. Uh, excellent. Uh, beyond that, okay, so those of you who have, you're not on Facebook, I'm assuming at this point you have been confronted by the notion that someone else will say, oh, you should be on Facebook. You're, you're missing out on something. Um, well, maybe. <laughs> No, you are. You are missing out on something, not necessarily something positive. You're missing out on uh, good things and bad things. I personally am uh, very sympathetic to those who are not on the site. I think you can get along just fine without it. <laughs> uh, it's surprising. I believe that's the case. I'm not paid by Facebook. Um, I'm paid by Oxford, so as, as long as we're... Hopefully we're getting on here, and that's fine. Um, but nevertheless, confronted by the notion that, you, um, that Facebook is this wonderful site and you can get on it and you can share photos. and what's, what's lovely about that, and I want you to reflect for those of you that are not and those of you that, as you were uh, joining the site, the metaphors, the rationales that people were using when they justified this site. What is Facebook? Um, people say it is what it can do often. Oh, you can do this. You can post status updates. You can post pictures. You can uh, find friends. Uh, these are... These are functions that emerged from Facebook, but what Facebook really is, ultimately, is it, it's, um, it's just two database tables, um, and then everything else that makes that more optimized, more user-friendly, and so forth and so forth. The first table just says person and a whole bunch of details about them. Me, my gender, my age, here's a, a URLs to my photos, and so forth. And the second is just a list of friend relationships. Me and my friendship to so-and-so, and my friendship to so-and-so. And then the rest of the site is effectively just managing content based on those two tables. Who gets access to what content? Why is it important? Why is it relevant to articulate it in terms of the underlying architecture? Well, first of all, it it helps us to think about the design decisions that went into this site, that condition and uh, filter and focus, what it is that the site will uh, do. Uh, the second is to say that it was designed, just, just flat out there. It was designed. It's not, it's not natural. It does, it's not necessary. But perhaps the main reason is because there is 
probably a disconnect between what people uh, think happens as the site is powered and how it really works. And what that leads to is um, differences in the mental models of how information is going to move on the site and how people want that information to move on the site. And that's really the linchpin of my talk here. And here's, a, here's an example of this. I'll, I'll read it out for you. Hey, it's Erica's mom. I'm, I'm wondering when you're leaving for, uh, for your break. I won't be able to uh, pick you up, and, or I'd love to be able to pick you up and surprise Miss Erica with your appearance. I know the two of you have been having a hard time getting together to catch up. Nancy posted this on Erica's wall. Uh, uh, Erica is... Uh, um, or Erica's friend's wall, and it said, it's kind of hard to surprise me when you post it in a wall post. <laughs> and then it says, oops, I wondered if you would see that message. Oh, well, I guess I blew that. It's hard to plan a surprise party on Facebook. Um, poor, uh, poor Nancy here. Way to be stealth, Mom. I didn't put that in there. This was from a, uh, oh, the source is cut off because, well, we're, well, we're, we're flying without a net here today. That's why. <clears throat> uh, this is from my parents join Facebook, uh, dot com. Yes, and uh, my parents joined Facebook.com. Hi, guys. Come on in. Come on in. Um, no, no problem. Come on in. Uh, my parents joined Facebook.com is one of a, a series of websites that show um, a lot of uh, gaffes, social gaffes that uh, uh, people, people do on the site. Um, uh, my favorite one is a website called Lanebook. You can go to Lanebook and people can... Uh, post examples of uh, faux pas, accidents, things that uh, they thought uh, were happening on the site but didn't work out uh, as well as uh, as well as they had intended. Such as uh, what what comes around didn't used to go around, says Jess. And then Rita says, I sort of get this thing Facebook. You can only see what I write when I comment under your picture. But if but if I comment under my picture, anyone sees what goes into my Facebook or what? Mom, Jess says, I can't even begin to answer that question, Mom. I'm not even sure it was a question. <laughs> and Rita replies, I like Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> oh, Doogie Howser, MD. Yes. <laughs> so that's a, I guess that's a safe response. Um, I, um, I give moms a hard time, or mums, sorry. <laughs> I give moms a hard time uh, on this. this is, uh, I want to I lift that out. I want to generalize that. Uh, my mom is wonderful, and she's uh, very uh, technically uh, adept. And I don't think that moms are a particularly um, uh, maligned class of people going on this site. They're not invading Facebook. Everyone has an equal right to be on that site right now. I'm using this uh, mainly because of the, uh, the faux pas that uh, are very apt tend to come from, uh, uh, from parents. Uh, here, and here's another tragic one. Uh, this lady says, time for yoga. And then, of course, her mom says, Uncle Bernie passed away tonight. <laughs> <laughs> wow, mom. Thank you for that Facebook post. <laughs> Maybe next time, call me with that. <laughs> yeah. So what's, the, what's an appropriate norm? First of all, what's the mental model? We're seeing mental model fails. We're seeing norm fails. And we can also see conflict. You can't see that one right there, but it says that Haley has the sweetest boyfriend on earth. And Rebecca says, nuh-uh, I do. And then Haley says, huh, that's funny, because I dated your boyfriend. And what's funnier is when he gets super drunk, he calls me. But fortunately, I don't answer because I'm in love with my boyfriend. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. That's right. And now, not only are we dealing with faux pas and mental model gaps, but also conflict. Conflict because we're unsure of who the audience is and how that audience 
uh, is going to react to various content and whether we can regulate so that one can see something and the other can't. The thing is, people don't always think about their audience. Uh, this is I Hate My Boss, uh, as searched for on Twitter and on Facebook. This is uh, Open Facebook. I believe it's got a new name now because you can't use Facebook if you're not Facebook. It's like Open friend search or something. And if you, if you search for I Hate My Boss in this, you'll see a remarkable amount of uh, people displaying publicly the, the extent of loathing they have for their boss. And if you really hate your boss enough, um, well, you might get sacked for it. Uh, and again, so there, there are consequences of this. I'm going to, I'm sort of moving on from the, uh, the sort of the cute narratives, uh, sort of trial by anecdote. But uh, yeah, there are, this is an old one, but pretty much every week you can find a new example of some scandal where somebody posted something inappropriately. Okay, so now that we've had that, let's, let's, Let's just pretend the internet doesn't exist, okay? Let's, let's roll back the clock on that one. Let's go back to 2001, which when I, well, the internet still existed then, but social network software didn't, not really. Um, there's no internet, it's gone. Oh, what would that be? What would that be, uh, 40 years ago, I guess? About 40 years ago. Well, and we have to design this thing. Well, the first thing that we do is we have to think about the process of digitization. What does it mean to self-represent in a digital world? If the internet doesn't exist, or rather if we think about the internet not as Facebook and Google, but as a mechanism for the encoding of communication and the reproduction of that encoding. Remember, we don't actually pass communication. It's not a physical thing. I don't, I don't send my text. I create a duplication. I create a copy of this and then that copy ends up propagating around. So we have two dueling metaphors of how this could happen. And the first metaphor, and this is a classic one from uh, sociology. This is the uh, dramaturgical approach from Irving Goffman. Uh, Irving Goffman wrote a, a dynamite book in 1959, The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life. Uh, he drew upon uh, some of the uh, the eco-behavioral science of the day, or the environmental uh, psychology as it was called. He drew upon literary studies, uh, psychiatric texts, and a, um, an ethnography that he had done in, um, in the, I guess, the Shetland Islands. It's really way, way, way up north. <clears throat> he, he was less interested. He said what's not important in the projection of identity. What's not important is whether people are um, authentic or not, whether, this is, whether it's what they're really doing. Rather, we can turn that on our head. We can say those who believe in what they're doing, that's, that's uh, sincere, and those who don't, that's cynical. But the point is not whether they're being really themselves. Uh, the point is, what self do, do people think they're being? At any point, we have to project a version of ourselves. From Goffman, we get the term impression management. Goffman said that uh, there's a front stage. Uh, the front stage is the, is the place where we fulfill a role and we fulfill an idealized self. I'm trying to be the best uh, lecturer that I can. Uh, you guys are very attentive and you're laughing sometimes and you were nice and moving things. So you're, you're fulfilling the role of audience. You're doing quite great at that. I, well, you're all Oxford alumni, so. <laughs> I'd expect no less. Um, well, maybe not all, but many of you. Uh, yeah. 
we're fulfilling roles. We have this front stage. And then there's this backstage behind this. And, and the backstage is where we do all the preparation that's necessary in order to project an idealized self. And remember, it's not an authentic self. It's an idealized self. Am I a great lecturer? I don't know. I'm trying. Um, it's, uh, do I believe that? Am I being sincere? Am I being, am I being cynical? Am I, am I, doesn't matter. What matters is that I'm selecting certain aspects of myself in order to present to you this particular context. Um, and that is impression management. The backstage is where I go through all of the trials and tribulations, maybe uh, get a suit dry cleaned or put my slides together and fret over it. And I keep that all hidden. I keep that all out of view. Now, this metaphor has become very popular for, uh, for online uh, interaction. Uh, one of the greatest proponents of this, perhaps, is Dana Boyd. For those of you who are interested in further, uh, further work on social media and uh, social networking sites, you can do a lot worse than following Dana Boyd. She has uh, a gazillion Twitter followers at this point, and uh, oh, she tweets and mountains move. It's really quite wonderful. She's a, no, she's a, she's a great person, and she's got an army of uh, uh, dedicated people interested in her work. Uh, I'm one of them. I'm a big fan of Dana. Uh, a colleague, but we're also a fan. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not quite sure I buy this metaphor. And uh, I have a, a reference in the back that will, um, uh, is where I discuss this uh, uh, theoretically. Uh, I have some colleagues at Michigan State University who I'm working with. I won't talk too much about that work. However, um, I was very, I was very, I guess, chuffed. I suppose chuffed, happy, pleased. Uh, I was very pleased to find out that one of the uh, the graduate students on this project has been interviewing people, and as it turns out, she uh, she buys my argument. Apparently, it's not really about this. It's not really about the stage. Why isn't it about the stage? Well. This is a context. This is bounded in space and time. I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go on and, and I can do another role. I can be somebody else, go home, have a coffee or a nap or whatever I do. <clears throat> but on Facebook, it doesn't work like that. On, on social media sites, remember what I said? It's uh, basically two, two tables. The stuff about me and who gets access to it. The second one, the friend table. So the second metaphor is not the stage where we go and we perform an idealized role. It's the exhibition. And the exhibition is where we um, submit artifacts. Could be a status update, a photo, a video, something about ourselves that we think is appropriate for this space. And then we just submit them to the gallery. And then the curator pulls out certain ones and selects a, an exhibition to, uh, to display. Uh, Websites <clears throat> are those curators now. Curation is the, uh, the hot topic this year. Um, turns out everything online that's dynamic needs to be curated in some form. Now, a classic curation is a very, uh, is a very delicate art where uh, individuals are selecting you know, precious objects, trying to align them in ways that create narratives, create a sense of coherence. Um, online curation tends to be very automated. It tends to be done by algorithms. Those algorithms are third parties. They're not me. They're not my audience. They're mediating the relationship between me and my audience. And now why doesn't that fit with the, uh, the model of the performance? Because I'm not the one doing the curating. Offline, in a context, I'm doing impression management. I'm, um, 
I'm trying to be an idealized uh, self, and in doing that, I'm selecting certain things to say and certain things not to say. In the exhibition, I'm leaving it up to the curator to decide what things to say and to whom they are said. The, um, the faux pas that we saw earlier are examples of people who had a, um, a mismatch between who they thought was going to uh, receive this content and who actually uh, received this content. There was a gap in their mental model of how the curatorial uh, process uh, worked. So it's, it's just sad bullet slides, la 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 la, same sort of thing, yes, yes, yes. Well, when it doesn't work, traffic jam, it's terrible. <laughs> so what's, what's interesting about the, uh, oh, I know. St. <laughs> <Saint> Giles. <laughs> what's interesting about the, um, uh, the, the curatorial process is that it upends our previous notions of self-presentation online. Offline, the idealized self. I'm trying to give you the best self. Um, online, very different situation. Instead of online, I'm doing damage control. <laughs> online, I'm trying to present an appropriate self in light of all of the groups that could see that content. I'm trying to create a self that is mom safe and work safe and student safe and partner safe and, and it, one that will actually be appropriate for all of these audiences. I'm not necessarily speaking to all of these audiences. I might have an idealized audience in mind, just like offline, but I also have an audience that contains and determines what's the limits or what's appropriate. I may want to put up, I don't know, photos of the family for the family, but I may not want other people to see family photos. It's none of their business. Whatever. It's a picture of, I don't know, me at like three years old tearing up a cake or something. I don't, I don't know. Uh, whatever it is. Uh, and as a consequence, what we now have and what I'm chuffed to see is uh, an example of a lowest common denominator culture. Um, and so that's a, a suggestion where people, people censor their posts. They censor their self-impression uh, based on a notion of who they perceive the audience to be on these sites. This is not the only outcome of uh, an exhibitional approach. There are multiple ones. You can have multiple ex exhibitions. You have separate accounts. You can have pseudonyms. Um, I'll actually cover some of the other uh, consequences of this later in the talk. Now, why this? Why does it work this way? Well, if we can go back to early sociology, um, <clears throat> Georg Zimmel, Georg Zimmel, wonderful sociologist, one of the uh, earliest thinkers of social networks and social identity, uh, had a, a wonderful article, The Web of Group Affiliations, uh, and, which is a, a poor translation of the German. And what's, what's funny about this is uh, the, the poor translation of the Germans seemed very sexy for a while there. The web of group affiliations, it seems like it was a network and it was a bunch of connections. Now, the, um, a better, more direct translation of the German actually would be more apt right now, which is the intersecting social circles of modern life. Social circles are now the basis of Google's updated new privacy model that's uh, supposed to uh, upend Facebook. Social circles make sense in terms of 
different groups that are uh, a part of our personal network and a part of everyday life. He suggests, and he may be false, he may be uh, sort of pastoral nostalgia in suggesting that uh, a person's identity in pre-modern times began with the family. I am from my family. Uh, people tend to have uh, names that are based on the uh, patrilineal or matrilineal uh, orders, introducing themselves in that sense. My family's part of a clan, it's part of a town, and so forth and so forth. And it's these concentric circles that radiate outwards. He suggests that with, um, with modern life, where we have high population density and the capacity to move through different contexts, different sorts of social organization, not everyone that we know is going to be um, known to each other. That we don't have a single sort of radiating sense moving outwards of family, clan, town, and so forth, but that we may have uh, people from our hometown, many of whom would know our family. Our family, some of them might know current neighbors, know people on uh, the sports team, uh, maybe someone from uh, work plays on the same football team, and, and so forth and so forth. And these are all partially overlapping. Um, now, of course, when we get to um, social networking software at the moment, although this is changing and uh, changing as evolving in order to bend more towards this, this insights of how networks work, but we've gone back to the so almost pre-modern times of I have things that I think are appropriate for my friends, and then for friends of friends, and then public or uh, everyone. Of course. Um, one way to uh, deal with this situation is to just get rid of it entirely and you could just go with Twitter and say, well, it's for everyone. <laughs> Do we really have one big circle of friends? No. As a consequence, what we have is uh, a situation called, uh, um, or that I've referred to as, uh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> uh, as a small parenthetical, uh, I do have a, um, uh, I do have an issue with academics who say, and I call this X, and they're the only person who calls it that. And uh, I'm trying to avoid sort of uh, localized, uh, uh, localized jargon, if, if at all possible. But no, it's, it's broadly referred to as, um, as the collapse of context. I like that term. I like the, you know, the notion of collapse. It's sort of destructive and thunderous. <laughs> they all fall into each other. And that's what's happening on these sites. Content is persistent. It moves across coworkers, family, and so forth, and it's collapsed. Well, is it really collapsed? Are there really many contexts? Well, I don't just talk narratives. I actually do research. Uh, so uh, we'll, um, how can we tell this? Well, I, um, for me, this is uh, understood through, uh, through network analysis. Uh, I'm trained as a, a network analyst, uh, also as a, as a plug for Oxford University and uh, Nuffield College. We, uh, we run uh, seminars on social network analysis every Monday at uh, 5. We have great speakers coming in. If you're in town, you're welcome to stop by. Everyone's, uh, everyone's welcome. Uh, network analysis. People are dots. Connections between them are lines. We can use this. This is just how Facebook works. They have profiles, and then they have a table that says which edges are which. The two work together like Americans would say chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> you guys might use Marmite or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what this country's problem with peanut butter is. <laughs> you guys are missing out. Um, right, so. Here's my a schema, 
of my personal network. We can have individuals who are all tied to each other. Uh, now, the networks I'm going to show don't have this person who we call ego. These are called alters, and we call this ego. And so we can have ego alter ties. Uh, say it's my network and my friendships, and alter alter ties, the friends between people in my network. Uh, we're going to remove ego so that it becomes more uh, visually obvious. Uh, in this case, we can see that there's four components, a component meaning a maximally connected group. This is one component. They're all connected. This is another component we call a triad, and two isolates there. These are people that are only known to ego. They don't know anyone else in the network. Um, And we can see something that looks like this. This is my network. Um, so in terms of the collapse context, we can see that there are actually multiple groups in this network. Um, I've got lots of views of my network, and there you'll see a couple of them, and it's always evolving. Uh, you'll see other people's as well. Uh, this, uh, this diagram here shows uh, friends in my Facebook network, and the, the lines, to the extent you can see them, uh, can we? Can we do that? Can we, let's, spotlights. Ooh, ooh. Oh, okay. <laughs> the color coding is not one that I did myself. Um, I've tried, I actually, uh, I, no, I took out the other slide, the one where I tried to do this myself with Friendless. It's terrible. It's a mess. It's all over the place. I wasn't very good at it. Most people are not. That's actually one of the basis of, uh, bases of this talk is that people actually are very uh, poor at determining or at least uh, articulating who their friends are and which groups they're in and how to deal with that. But as it turns out, the underlying friendship structure helps guide us in understanding these multiple contexts. This color coding is done using what's called a community detection. This is a, um, a derivation of a sociological term called cohesive subgroups. Now, cohesive subgroups might mean, you know, give me all the people who have at least three connections to each other, or give me all the people under X condition. Uh, and more recent community detection algorithms have said, give me a bunch of groups where there's more uh, links within the groups than there are between the groups and we'll just iterate through the uh, calculation in order to um, render it until it becomes settled. And then you get something very pretty that looks like this. Uh, what's remarkable about these is that they actually do uh, very clearly and very, um, hmm, I'm gonna create a new word, spookily. Uh, uh, yeah, they're very peculiarly uh, indicate uh, network structure in remarkable ways. Here's another perspective on this network right here. This is mine again. Um, in this particular case, we're showing two things, not just that there are clusters in a Facebook network, but that um, there are also strong and weak ties in a Facebook network. The black dots are people that I find um, personally, uh, they're personally intimate ties. They are strong ties. They're people that I would call upon for social support. What's interesting about them, two things. First of all is that they are broadly distributed throughout the network. The second thing is that they tend to occupy very specific roles uh, in this network or specific positions. And that position is often one of broker. Why would that be the case? Any thoughts on why people and Trust me, I'm using my network, but this is very consistent across networks. I'll show more later. Um, but why would you think, why would people that we're personally close with be these brokers across different communities? And as a consequence, 
Exactly, yes. We introduce our friends to each other. And so this, uh, this one right here, this one who's the largest of the, uh, 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 the black squares there, is my partner, which makes sense. As in, I introduce to people I know in graduate school, undergraduate, my family from high school, my professional ties. Uh, therefore, um, he has the highest betweenness in the network, very caught among different groups. That makes it hard to partition in the sense that there are certain people that are both friends and coworkers and so forth. But that's another matter. What's more relevant is that there are certain individuals that we can identify structurally as being uh, significant, as being important, and that there are also groups that we can identify structurally as being, uh, as being salient. Now, this is uh, Facebook's uh, current uh, privacy, um, uh, I'm not sure, model, uh, schema, window. Anyway, whatever it is, uh, it suggests that here's the way we can tune our privacy settings. We can say things friends only, friends are friends, and other. Well, as it turns out, friends, as I think I've now uh, suggested, are not a homogenous group. Now, uh, this is uh, one of my superficial, uh, oh, just trust me, slides. <laughs> these are, um, this might have been you, in fact, actually. These, these were taken um, uh, two years ago. Uh, Oxford students in a psycholo psychology block practical. I've just cherry-picked a couple of them. And these were their uh, uh, personal networks that, uh, that we've downloaded. And we can see similar occurrences right here. Well, one of the things relative to my network where you saw, say, five, six dense clumps, what do we see here? We see two and three uh, dense clumps. Why would that be the case? They're younger. It's simplified. Not, certainly not fewer contacts, no. They have lots of contacts. But they tend to uh, add them all. Uh, one, uh, one study that I, uh, and I know it's like Pokemon, it's just, you collect them all, they're all friends, come on, bring them into the network. Uh, teens have a, uh, have a hard time on social network sites, a particularly hard time when they get in their college years and realize, I'm not really friends with all these people. What am I doing with 500 ties that I, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to do with. Um, but what we can see are, um, oh, I don't have a laser pointer on me. Um, there. Yes, that, that little fellow right there in the center. Uh, that's probably the only person that uh, followed this guy to Oxford. Um, as in, presumably, I'm going to say that's Oxford high school family. Um, probably the same thing. Oxford high school, junior high, family. Very, very, very consistent. Um, you're like, how do you know? Well, <laughs> you've I've, I've seen hundreds of these. Uh, and again, the, the, sa the same, I don't know that it's actually that, but it's, uh, I have interviewed people and we, um, no, actually, I, I can tell um, later. Again, similar sort of thing. Dense clustering patterns of people signifying a particular context. Other clusters Overall, the network tends to be connected and that there are these significant brokers who link because they're introduced in multiple situations. This is the network that we know. This is the networks that we inhabit uh, now. Um, for those of you who are on LinkedIn, there's now a, uh, um, a facility for doing this uh, yourself called InMaps. It's quite nice. 
It's based on uh, an advanced um, uh, uh, an advanced visualization toolkit called Gephi. I uh, I complain because ego is shown in the map. People uh, people look at these maps. They go, Why am I not there? Where am I in the map? And then you say, Well, you're everywhere because they're all your friends. And, and they go, I'm not really. I'm everywhere. Uh, but I do, I do think it's unfortunate because this does obscure the fact that it's unclear the extent to which the ties from, in this person's network, LinkedIn, are tied to the uh, people from Carnegie Mellon, are tied to the people from Yahoo Analytics. It's not clear where the brokers are outside of yourself. It is a very important um, piece of information uh, for a number of reasons that uh, oh, maybe we can talk about later. But what's remarkable about this map those maps before and my map, is that they make sense, that they're intelligible, that they're coherent. Um, why are they coherent? It's because the maps use uh, very simple layout principles uh, that self-organize in such a way that they, in fact, reflect underlying structure. So uh, let's, have a, uh, let's have a look. The most classic of these is called the Fruchterman-Rheingold layout, and this is from the early 90s. And they said, take all the nodes and the lines, put those that are connected, bring them close together, take those that are not connected, push them far apart. Rinse, repeat. Keep doing that over and over again. After 10 iterations, you get something that sort of has a bit of a structure to it. The structure is starting to uh, organize. After 100 iterations, it's very clear. This is Another of my network, it's just sort of um, uh, permuted uh, slightly. But again, family, high school, undergraduate, graduate, professional, UK professional, same sort of thing. Very obvious that it all self-organizes and settles, um, settles together. Now, what's fascinating about this as well is that what we've discovered is that not every network on Facebook um, actually shows this pattern. Not every way of looking at this network makes sense. This dense ball here is uh, from a, uh, uh, an interesting study called A Taste for Privacy uh, by Kevin Lewis and colleagues at Harvard. They took the uh, incoming class, I believe of 2007, at Harvard College, downloaded their Facebook network, uh, not really with their permission, and <laughs> there are uh, a non-trivial number of uh, uh, articles written about the issues related to this. Um, it's, and then they attached all sorts of other data to that, like which dorm they were staying in, uh, parental uh, income levels, and so forth and so forth. Um, this was supposed to be a Drosophila of, uh, of networks. As it turns out, uh, it, it, it wasn't. Um, I won't say what it was in, in, in play company. Um, what's fascinating, though, is that what we have here is not a situation where we can see what we call high modularity, high clustering, high coherence. This is a single dorm room. And this is to suggest, well, why not? Can't we like lay it out in some other way and make it make sense? Well, if the network is not organized according to any principles based on the boundary, you're not going to see any sense. Facebook networks are organized around our choice of friends at the personal level, but that does not necessarily mean that these wider group structures are going to be particularly coherent. Also, if you're curious, the, uh, the yellow and the red in this particular diagram refer to those who have privacy settings turned on and those who, who don't. And they were modeling that and trying to discern what 
uh, structural features could predict to whether people would turn on their privacy settings or not, and they didn't come up with very much at all. Um, so we have this stuff, and now I'm going to just briefly tour uh, a recent series of uh, interviews that I did to uh, reinforce some of these comments, and then, um, and then perhaps uh, take some uh, questions and bring it back to the abstract, uh, which I, I'm sure I wrote at some point. <laughs> so the research questions. Well, do people actually get this stuff? Do they, is this, am I just am I showing you smoke and mirrors here? Well, what, what I did is I, uh, um, I tried to test this out by using uh, what I call facilitated social worlds. And uh, these, are, uh, these are diagrams, um, which I tried to simplify in an earlier process where I'd ask people to outline all of their friends and draw all the lines between them, and that was slow and tedious. Of course, the, the technique prior to that that was even slower and more tedious was you, uh, you do a, a triangular matrix of, uh, of questions. Does A know B? Does A know C? Does A know D? Does Alice know Bob? Does Alice know Charlie? And so that scales exponentially, so you have, you have Three ties, you got to ask what? Um, three questions? Uh, four ties, six questions, a uh, hundred ties, five thousand questions. <laughs> so you can't, it's not um, feasible to do that with large numbers. And then look at the network afterwards. Instead, we can take a more um, aerial view and say, just draw the groups that you think and their overlap. And so this is one example here. Sorry about the pixelization. It's a digitization of the actual uh, diagram here. And this person uh, said, well, first, uh, family. Family is really central to me. And then, um, oh, then I have my old friends from school. And, and some of them know the family members. And so there's a little bit of overlap right here. And then some of my neighbors, I know lots of people in the neighborhood. And well, some of them know family, and so forth and so forth. And we can see the emergence of a clustered diagram not unlike what we saw um, ab above. Then once this is done, we can download uh, the Facebook network and interpret it. I am uh, promoting here a uh, tool. It's not very good, but it's mine. <laughs> so, so I'm proud of it. No, it's uh, I, um, I another parenthetical. Uh, there is a, uh, for those of you who run uh, Microsoft Windows uh, and have Office 2007 or above, uh, right now I am working on a, uh, a sort of a, uh, uh, the, the uh, I don't know what the term is, uh, the, the tool that follows this one called the Facebook Importer for NodeXL. NodeXL is a uh, piece of software that makes it very easy to download and draw social networks. Uh, of your own, and the Facebook importer for, uh, for NodeXL works very fast uh, and is uh, just really quite lovely. But for the brave who uh, want to rough it out uh, with something more bare bones, you can go to NameGenWeb and uh, download your own uh, Facebook network. Now what I did instead is actually use a desktop version of this. Um, and so we have people, they draw the, uh, the sociograms, and then they use this tool, they download their social networks, and then they can be visualized in this program right here. And we can see, does the network that they drew look like the network that they, um, uh, the network that they thought? So um, this is, uh, oh, in this case, we'll just be reporting on some, uh, uh, some of the pretest designs and say, do they map to offline networks? And let's go right to the examples here. This one is a, a favorite one of mine. Uh, my apologies about the, uh, the edges coming out. <coughs> and this gentleman, who uh, self-described as Bolivar, um, I asked everyone to come up with their own pseudonyms, 
and um, uh, he's reading a novel about a Spanish conquistador. Bolivar really um, unifies a lot of the thoughts that we were talking about earlier. Bolivar is a recovering something. Uh, I'm not at liberty to say what that something is. Uh, you just think of your various anonymous groups, alcoholics, narcotics, uh, gambling, um, I don't know, television, television anonymous. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I think I might be in Facebook anonymous. Uh, but uh, So Bolivar has been doing really well with his, uh, with his anonymous group, and he's a uh, peer support leader. Being a peer support leader means that when other people have uh, issues, they turn to him, they say, hey, I'm having a bad day, things are not going my way, I'm really concerned, and they says, no, it's okay, just don't have another cigarette or whatever it is that, that, they're, that they're supporting. Now, Bolivar says that a lot of his ties now maintain accessibility through Facebook. And so these people that are in his anonymous group become his friends on Facebook. Now he's uncomfortable with this because as a consequence he's noted that what that means is now they post things on his wall and he can't self-regulate that. Remember he's not doing the curation Facebook is and it's working according to Facebook's model which is an imperfect uh, model and not one that's fully represented. So this is his anonymous group right here and now when he visualized this um, he noticed something remarkable. This edge right here. One of the people in his anonymous group is actually friends with somebody else in his, in his network. And that created a dilemma for him. And the dilemma was, he's a peer support leader. He can't simply delete these people. He can't simply create another account because there's already a web of relations that's uh, in place. So what Bolivar has, uh, has done is sort of uh, mute himself on Facebook and has tried to lock down the site. What he's done is created a lowest common denominator for himself that is as low as possible, but he still has a sense of concern about this. And as a consequence, for all of the groups on Facebook, um, not one of them is family. He says, I still can't control Facebook enough in order to put my family in there and still have all of these other people talking uh, to, uh, to each other. Um, now, for what it's worth, uh, the other interesting thing about this is that he did, before the, uh, before the, uh, the facility, or before the, the diagram and stuff, we asked him, uh, you know, Bolivar, draw out the ties. And there's the anonymous group, and they're totally separate, and then the hobby group, who know the Oxford friends, and some of them know the foreign friends. He had, this is his mental model of the connectivity between these groups. That is, there's one normative context here for these people who are all by themselves. Another normative context for family. I, and so family stays away from everyone else. And then these guys all kind of blend together. And again, we see the collapsing of these contexts on Facebook where the anonymous friends are actually tied to the large component and leak that content, leak that information or spill it, if you will, from one uh, to the other. The other thing he noted and that surprised him was that his foreign friends did not actually have any friends in common with his current group on uh, Facebook. Um, and just here's an example of him talking about the dilemmas that he's going for, uh, but uh, we can skip that. Another example here, here is uh, Sarah. Sarah uh, had recently uh, changed jobs. And she had a problem <coughs> self-regulating her need to maintain connections to her old job in order to, uh, to ensure that, that uh, she'd get a good reference and that she'd move through uh, uh, the company and so forth. But 
she looks and says, my Facebook really feels like two Facebooks, um, and I'm having a hard time contending with that. And it's because you can see very sparse number of uh, lines. Well, some of you can. It's, uh, I can vaguely. Uh, and uh, a very, very sparse series of connections. And they have these large, densely connected groups down here. These are the old companies. Or this is the old company and the three districts that she worked from. Now, again, fascinating about this is the fact that she did not label which <coughs> districts they were. Um, but the emergence of densely connected pockets between these uh, did the work for her. This structure exists. We simply inhabit it. We, we, we enter this by selecting our friends, but their ties to each other is, what, is where the structure uh, comes from. But she says, yes, that's my Oxford friends up there, and I'd like to be able to just, just do away with all of these right here, actually, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, but, uh, but A, she couldn't, and B, she had a, a hard time conceptualizing that because regardless of the fact that when you see it as a network, oh, here's my, uh, here's my connections, here's the sparse ties where I can cut, on Facebook, it's all distilled into one curatorial object, one list of top news, the top news from both the work and so forth. Um, it's normally at this point when I talk to uh, uh, corporate groups, uh, or maybe even before this, they say, burn, you're wasting your time. There's, a, you know, there's ways that you can uh, tweak this using your privacy settings. And I say, oh, you're an engineer. <laughs> and they go, how dare you? Yes, I am. <laughs> and I say, well, because that's the, that's the engineering uh, solution to this is to say, well, what people can do is then tweak their own privacy settings and impose this back on, on people. Is that we've, created a, um, we've created an inadequate mental model uh, for social relationships online to allow content to persist. And then we've created our own uh, idea of what this fix should be. So um, bend. <laughs> and then people go, well, I don't want to bend. But what they do instead of bending is, uh, like Sarah, keep quiet, whinge, um, have these dilemmas, uh, and limit their personal expression in some way or another. Now, uh, also, in, for what it's worth, in Sarah's, uh, in Sarah's world, she actually thought her, in her own personal life, her coworker group was actually a, a very small number of people. Um, and again, she denoted in her personal life the same number of contexts. She denoted which contexts were central to her and to her identity. But again, just like Bolivar, not really sure about how they're connected and how that connection online uh, manifested itself, real, uh, real issues. And uh, unfortunately, the, um, the community detection did not pick up family in here at all. Um, I'm going to skip through Tyrone there. And, uh, oh, it's just somebody else. I think you uh, uh, get the point of this. So returning to, um, returning to the persistent content of, uh, of Facebook, <coughs> yes, the uh, I hate my boss. Oh, some bad foul language there, foul language. Um, and we can see now. The people that they're posting this to, well, you do have to give these people some uh, credit. What they're doing, and what I did not talk about at all, but I can, you guys can ask me about later, is uh, social capital. People actually accrue valuable resources from their network. And one of the key resources that we get of personal social capital um, is support. People find support in their personal network. Often people want support for dilemmas. I talk to the other research fellows at my department 
about my teaching load and about certain students that uh, I wish would do better and uh, people talk about their job and they go to the pub and do this and it tends to be offline in these ephemeral situations that yes perhaps you could overhear it, you could record it, you, you know Rupert Murdoch style, who knows, mm -hmm. but uh, in, in lieu of that we, we reach out for that social support from other people and that's what they're doing when they say I hate my boss, maybe they don't really hate their boss they're just whinging. They just, they just want to get it out and they want someone to say, hey, it's okay, you know, you'll get through it, it's your job, it's all good. When you do this online, when someone else is managing who gets access to this content and it sticks around, it's a completely different situation and I um, wouldn't want to be those people as a consequence. <laughs> but what are the other consequences? Well, one, one is focus. What some of these people do for their Facebook networks is focus it, and for Twitter, and for Google+. Focusing is a very common activity. This is going to be, I'm just going to talk about recipes. You know, I post recipes, or I post what games I play. And then people sort of narrow down, and they say, I will be known for this, and that allows me to easily manage it. Another one is avoidance. Um, and this is, I'm not even going to get on the site. I'm just, it's not my site. I cannot bend the lowest common my lowest common denominator to fit this site adequately. <coughs> I'm out. It's I'm done. I can't. Others uh, water down their content. That tends to be what I do. Um, I use language that's uh, at least somewhat professional because I have uh, you know graduate students and um, uh, fellow faculty on my Facebook page and try to sort of ensure that what I say is the lowest common denominator. Uh, that's a typo, the next one. It should be steganography. Uh, steganography is uh, used in uh, cryptography, um, a way of in dually encoding a message. So you can actually encode like text messages inside images and, uh, and like JPEGs and, and whatnot. And then, and then there's ways that you can get those uh, that messages back out. People dually encode their messages on Facebook as well. They use terminology that some people in the network will uh, understand but others uh, uh, won't understand. Um, actually, uh, Dana Boyd, who I mentioned earlier, uh, is going to be giving a, uh, a keynote about steganography, our social steganography on Facebook uh, in a few days here for our conference. Uh, people do privacy tweaks, but that's not very common. I used to have statistics on that, but they're wildly out of date. Uh, four years ago, only 40% of people, um, no, sorry, three years ago, only 40% of people um, ever went past the first screen on Facebook's privacy settings, so which is pretty, uh, pretty futile to assume that privacy tweaks are the ways that we handle this. Another one is fragmentation where people create separate networks. So I behave one way on Google+, I behave one way on Facebook, another way on LinkedIn, another way on Twitter, another way with a pseudonym and so forth. Uh, the next one is silence. Um, I have a Facebook network but effectively it functions as a phone book because uh, the because the way, that, well not me actually, but for other people and this is because producing content I'm not clear who's going to get it so I won't say anything but I still acknowledge the importance and the utility of being on a social network site. The second last one might be the most interesting and this is where the jury is still out, we're still looking forward to this, and this is norm change. Will it be okay to publicly talk about how much you hate your boss or to all these things? Kids these days, how dare they do that? Um, well, it turns out uh, norm change might not be the, uh, the inevitable, inevitable outcome. Work by uh, Pew, uh, Pew Internet in the States has been showing that um, 
has been showing that uh, uh, teenagers are actually very adept with their privacy settings. Uh, it's adults who are uh, actually not as uh, not as good at managing these sites. And the last one, uh, and for the uh, budding um, entrepreneurs in the room, uh, would be Exodus. And this has happened a couple times before. This happened on Friendster. Friendster got too saturated, and people just moved on to the next site. And then MySpace got too saturated, and then they moved on to Facebook. And now Facebook gets too saturated, and people move on to Google Plus. And Will, will we continue to constantly uh, do this uh, uh, exodus? That might be the ultimate consequence. I don't think it will be. I think what's more likely to happen is that we will collectively uh, understand uh, the, the norms or collectively um, not understand, uh, sort of emerge different norms, different ways of acting, uh, clue into the mental models adequate for these sites and select what parts of ourselves are appropriate. But in doing so, we need to first uh, understand what it means to have persistent content out there, how these sites work, and to find ways to both not just put content out there, but have the network reflected back to us that gives a sense of coherence uh, to these sites. So I'll leave it for there, and, uh, and I thank you for your attention.